We're in a series that we've entitled Loving Our Community. And if you've been around LifePoint Church very long, you know that we have talked many times about the five purposes of God, that he wants you to love and know him, that he wants you to belong to his family, that he wants you to become like him, that he wants you to use the talents, the abilities, the gifts that he's given you to serve other people, that he wants you to share your story with other people. I would have us know, as we have been talking in this series about God's grace and God's mercy, that his grace and his mercy has application in all five of those purposes. The Bible says that when you and I show God's grace and God's mercy, it's as an act of worship to God. When you and I show God's grace and God's mercy, it is an act of building fellowship and connecting with other people. When you and I show God's grace and God's mercy, it grows us into Christ-like maturity. When you and I show God's grace and God's mercy, it's as a service to other people. When you and I show God's grace and God's mercy, it is a form of sharing our stories, our testimonies is the Christian word, our stories with others. What I want to look at today is the very last purpose. I want us to take a look this weekend at God's grace and God's mercy as a witness to our world. Now, when I was a kid, growing up, first few years, eight years, nine years of my life, I was overseas. I didn't know what a TV was. When I got back here, I still wasn't engaged with it. It was black and white, kind of a boring thing. But around 10 years old, I discovered the man from Uncle. Do you all remember that? How many of you remember? Raise the, you guys are old. I wanted to be a spy. I watched I Spy. I watched the original Mission Impossibles. I wanted to be a spy. Well, I would have you know this that God has chosen you to be a secret agent for him in the most significant cause in the world, the advancement of the kingdom of God, to show God's grace and to show God's mercy to the world. Before Jesus ascended to the Father, his very last words to us through his disciples in Acts 1.8 was simply this, you will be my witnesses. You see, what is a witness? A witness is a person who tells what they have experienced, what they have seen to other people. It's not the job of a witness to be the prosecutor, to be the, to be the, the uh, defense attorney, it is just to say, hey, guess what? This is what I saw of God's grace and God's mercy in my life. And Jesus laid that out. His very last words, think of it. The last thing said is oftentimes the most important thing said. And he brings it out and says, I just want you to be my witnesses. And you're the only one that can be a witness of God's grace and mercy towards you. Because you're the only one that knows what God has done for you. You, in essence, are the authority on you. I can't be your authority. Other people can't be your authority. 
but you can be your authority. A lot of people, when they think about sharing their, their story with others, they think, well, all I have is this one story. It's kind of boring. Not really. Anything God's done in your life is not boring whatsoever. But not only that, you don't have just one story. A lot of times we think, well, I just got one story. No, you don't. You got hundreds of stories. You literally have hundreds and hundreds of stories. Anytime God has done something for you, folks, that's a story. If God has helped you to overcome worry and fear in your life, guess what that is? That is a story. If God has helped you to manage your anger, guess what that is? That is a story. If God has gotten you through a tunnel of chaos, if God has helped you with your finances, folks, those are stories. You literally have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories. And the one story that you share depends on the person you're talking to and what they need to hear. And when you talk with them about that story, about what they need to hear, you don't have to be a theologian. In fact, I would encourage you, don't be. Theologians really are not real, right? You gotta be real. So you don't use theological terms and you don't use terms uh, like a prosecutor or a defense lawyer. Your job is just to tell what has happened to you. Now I wanna ask you this question. What is the best way to do that in the world that we live in? Many of us woke up a week ago, I did, with the Las Vegas thing. And we will pray for that at the end of our service. What is the best way in the world that we live in to be God's secret agents of grace and mercy? By simply doing this. Let me put it like this. In the world, is the world becoming more loving or more self-centered? More self-centered, right? Is the world becoming more polite or more rude? More rude, right? Is the world becoming more kind or more unkind? Unkind. Our world appears to be more violent, more unkind. There seems to be more racial violence, more bigotry, more division in our country than we have ever experienced before. So I want you to write this down. In a mean world, and folks, we live in a mean world. In a mean world, our greatest witness is showing God's grace and God's mercy. Why? Because it is so unusual in the world that we live in. To show God's grace and God's mercy is to get the attention off of ourselves and onto others. And every time you do that in showing God's grace and God's mercy, folks, that can be your greatest witness because of the world that we live in. We live in a very ungracious and a very unkind world. And living in a very unkind, unloving, unforgiving world when people of God become the secret agents of God, of showing grace and mercy, the world steps back and goes, wow, is that what a Christian is? Yeah. Jesus did it and he told us to do it. 
In the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter six, verse 36, it says, show mercy to others just as your father shows mercy to you. So I wanna do two things this morning. I wanna talk about how you and I show God's grace and God's mercy as secret agents and make it a lifestyle. And secondly, I wanna talk about where we do that at. So how do we, as secret agents of God, become, um, or make this a lifestyle? Number one, you start by looking and listening for people's needs. The needs of people around you, in your neighborhood, on the soccer fields, with your kids, at the workplace, your family, your family, the friends that you hang out with. Grace and mercy always begins with awareness, by paying attention. The saying may be tried, but folks, I believe it's true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If you care, you're aware. If you don't care, guess what? You're oblivious. Now, Paul addressed this in Philippians chapter two. He said, look out for one another's interests, not just your own. You see, Attention is an act of love. Two, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, my oldest granddaughter had a birthday. And it happened to be, the party was on Sunday. So I had two services to do. And after that, I had, very, I had two appointments that were very emotional appointments. We were working through some tough things with these two different families. And afterwards, I got to the party at the end of it. I mean, when you come to the Pfizer house and the, the Pfizers all get together, we got the Hispanic family, we got us green, gringos, and then we've got the Joseph family, which are from India. I mean, it's like the UN meets together, right? And uh, anyway, at the end of this thing, uh, they, they all left, I got to visit, and I am wanting to get my emails done, okay? Because generally when I get home in the evening, I have about, I don't know, hours worth of correspondence, and I wanted to get it done because, man, I wanted to just crash. But when I got there and everyone had left, my two granddaughters says, Grandpa, Grandpa, we want you to watch us while we run to see how fast we run. I said, okay, that's great, go for it. So they get to the end of the house, and then you hear the patter of little feet just going like this. And when they get to the family room, which was where I was at, I was on my phone answering emails. Grandpa, pay attention to us. Hey, I'll tell you what, I'll give you five bucks if you just let me finish these emails, okay? No, Grandpa, we don't want your money. Okay, I'll watch you. Go do it again. And so they go back and, and they come there and I'm, Grandpa, I'll give you 10 bucks. That's as high as I go, okay, right now. No, we don't want your money. We want you to pay attention to us. Attention is an act of love. Why? Because attention says, you matter to me. When you give people your attention, you are giving them your time. And when you're giving them your time, you are giving them your life. You can give a lot of stuff and you can get a lot of stuff. You can give a lot of gifts and you can get a lot of gifts. You can give a lot of money and you can get a lot of money. You can give a lot of advice and you can get a lot of advice. But when you give your time, you are giving them a slice of your life that you will never get back. And so when you look at people in the eyes, and you give them your attention, you are giving them the highest form of love. 
I cannot tell you how many times I've had people come into my office. Pastor George, I don't understand why they're leaving me. I mean, I've given them everything. And when I hear that, I think, have you given them yourself? Have you given them your attention? Because it is worth more than what you realize. When you look at people in the eyes and you lend a listening ear, it is the highest form of love. Jesus demonstrated this. In Mark 10, 21, it says that Jesus looked at him, this man, and loved him. And later on it says, and he spoke to him. If you love people, you will look them in the eyes. Because in the eyes, your community, you matter to me. So if you're gonna be a secret agent of God's grace and God's mercy, you gotta listen and you gotta look to people's needs. The second thing is this, is that you can't be offended by their sin. Now with some of the things that I've been going through, my own personal life, professionally and otherwise, I've had this thought, will you write this down? Grace and mercy are messy. And I'll explain it. Hopefully you'll get it at the end of this point. Grace and mercy are messy. Grace is messy. Grace is unconditional. Mercy is messy. Mercy is unconditional. Grace and mercy are expressions of God's love, which means it's not like, hey, you go get your act together, okay, and then I'll like you. Go clean up yourself, and then maybe I'll think you're okay. No, no, no. Grace and mercy are messy. Folks, they are really, really, really messy. If you're going to be a secret agent of God's grace and mercy, and you're going to minister to people's needs, you cannot be offended by them. Jesus was never offended by anybody. And he hung out, so to speak, with the worst kind, prostitutes, drunks, corrupt business people. He hung out with them so much that by association, he was referred to as a sinner, a drunkard and a glutton because he was a party animal. He loved to go and be with the broken, the corrupt, the immoral, the the unloving, the unkind. And yet when he was with them, he in no way was offended by them. Now the Bible is really clear about this, that you and I are to look out for the interests of others. So I want you to get this. Will you write this down? You can't look out for them if you're looking down on them. And that makes grace and mercy messy. If you're a Christian and you're looking down on anyone, I guarantee you this, you're not looking out for them. As a Christian, I can't look down on anybody. You can't look down on people who may have different politics and you think, you know, they really suck, according to you. You can't look down on uh, people who may have a different moral vision for their life. (laughs) That really sucks. You can't look down on a lifestyle that you think is just off off the walls. If you're looking down on somebody, guess what? You can't look out for them. Now, Jude talks about this. 
I'll say Jude chapter one, verses 22 and 23, but there's only one chapter. So a lot of times it's just Jude chapter or Jude verses 22 and 23. And here it is. Notice what he says here. Show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Now I want us to slow down and think about that. You're interacting with someone in the community and they come up to you and they know that you're a Christian. They come up, hey, I just want you to know I'm an atheist. Your immediate thought ought to be, that's fine. You're just wavering in your faith. I'm not gonna look down on you. Or they come up to you, hey, I'm an agnostic. I don't know whether God's out there or not. If he is, he's doing a terrible job, right? And your first thought is fine. You're wavering in your faith. I'm not gonna look down at you. Or you come across a person who says, you know what? I've abandoned my faith as a Christian. It just doesn't work. And you think, well, that's fine. You're just wavering in your faith. I'm not gonna look down at you. That's what he's saying here. Show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. In other words, they're making some bad judgments in their life. Maybe they made a lot of them. There are still others to whom you need to show mercy, maybe because of their lifestyle choices. But be careful that you aren't contaminated by their sins. In other words, what he's saying is that showing grace and mercy doesn't mean that I excuse everything that is going on in this world. And folks, that makes grace and mercy really messy. You see, it's not okay that someone is addicted to drugs and ruining their, their family and their, uh, ruining themselves and their family. That's not okay. It's not okay that maybe someone is involved in some kind of corruption in their life and they're ruining themselves and other people around them. That's not okay. And he's also saying it's not okay to participate in those things. Sometimes we get that a little confused. Grace and mercy are messy. It's not okay. Okay, I guess if if I'm just being taller, I guess I'll just go with the flow. No, 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 no. You see, grace and mercy are messy because a lot of times it is hard to discern between the difference between acceptance and approval. Jesus accepts me 100% completely, but he doesn't always approve of everything that I do, and he knows how to split the difference just right. God accepts you completely, but that doesn't mean that God approves of everything that you do. We are called to love, to express that love through grace and mercy to people. But not everything that people do is okay. And that makes grace and mercy messy. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Most importantly, love each other deeply. Love has a way of not looking at others' sins. Isn't that beautiful? I love that last part. Love has a way of not looking at others' sins. Have you noticed that on these two points, that the first point is that we are to look out for other people's interests, but the second point is that we're not to look out for their sin. In other words, there's some things that we look out for, people's needs, people's interests, people's hurts, but there are other things that we don't look for and pay attention to. Peter is saying love covers a multitude of sins. 
that grace and mercy, though it is messy, somehow, some way, doesn't pay attention to people's sins. It, it, it overlooks it. It doesn't pay attention to it. Paul said the same thing, but in reference to Christians. In Ephesians chapter four, he said this, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Folks, I wanna give you a principle that I am convinced would change our culture overnight if we would just practice it, and it is this. Will you write this down? Don't expect non-believers to act like believers until they are. Don't expect non-believers to act like believers until they are. This is so simple and so logical, but we often don't. Folks, I couldn't follow the moral standards and lifestyle of Christ until I had Christ in me. And to ask a non-believer to have the same moral standards and lifestyle of Jesus is illogical. And it's illogical for a couple of reasons. One, that it doesn't even make sense to them. But secondly, they don't have the power to carry it off. That's why I believe it, it doesn't make sense to try to force non-believers into some high moral standard. Only grace will change people. Only mercy, the mercy of God will change people. I mean, if I went out and talked with Matt Sheehan and said, hey, let's create this rule and outlaw bigotry, do we really think that that law will outlaw bigotry, that it'll turn a bigot into a lover? I don't think so. Only Jesus he is the hope of the world, and we will get that at the end of 2018. I, will, I promise, I will get us there. Only Jesus can help you and I change on the inside. And so we can't be offended by people's sin. We have to love them right where they're at. And Jesus has a, there's a story about Jesus doing this. In Matthew 9, it is a story about Matthew a disciple of Jesus, he chose him. But Matthew was a tax collector. He was the lowest of the low because they had not only betrayed their people by working for Rome, but they oftentimes <clears throat> stole money from the people they were collecting taxes from. And so they were way out there. But Jesus chose him as a disciple. And out of Matthew's gratitude for being one of Jesus's disciples, Matthew throws a party and he invites all of his corrupt business friends to it. Let's read this thing out of Matthew chapter nine. <clears throat> that night, Jesus invited, uh, that night, Matthew invited Jesus to dinner with his fellow tax collectors and many other notorious sinners. The Pharisees were indignant. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Folks, they're looking down, right? They can't look out because they're looking down. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. Now catch this. I want you to be merciful. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to invite sinners to me, not those who think they are righteous. Jesus says, I didn't come for the well. I didn't come for the healthy. I didn't come for people who don't think that they're broken. No, I came for people who know that they're sick, who know that they are broken, who know that, that they, they need healing in their life. And yet these religious leaders, these Pharisees, 
These legalists, these rule keepers did not understand the grace and mercy of God. But Jesus wasn't looking for their approval. He was looking out for the needs of others, their hurts, their interests, because he wasn't looking down on them. Does that make sense? We need this in our world. The third principle, if you and I are gonna be secret agents, is that we gotta choose our words carefully. And I thought of this because my mother-in-law and father-in-law were in World War II and they would often repeat to me the importance of just watching your words because they, they, in World War II, they had this phrase, loose lips sink ships. In other words, you could know something and say it. Even in America, there were spies there and they could get that information and it, it could be a disaster. And so you and I need to do the same thing. We're secret agents, right? We gotta choose our words carefully. As people of mercy, we gotta monitor our mouth. Meaning there are some things, though we might think them, we cannot say them. I can't be mean when I want to be mean. I can't be rude when I want to be rude. I can't be sarcastic when I want to be sarcastic. I have to monitor my mouth. Paul talks about this in Colossians 4, verse 6. When you talk, you should always be kind and pleasant. So you will be able to answer everyone in the way you should. Will you circle two words? Circle the word kind and pleasant. You've heard me say this before. You're never persuasive when you're abrasive. If you can't get what you want at some retail store, at some, I don't know, some grocery store, at McDonald's, you can't be rude because you're not being merciful. Paul's saying here, no, you, you've got to speak words that are kind and, and pleasant. Let me show you another one out of Ephesians 4, 29. Do not say harmful things. In other words, don't say things that tear people down. But say what people need. Words that will help others become stronger. In other words, the words that we choose, they, they need to be chosen carefully so as to build people up. Do you realize that your words make you a bodybuilder? People ask me, what do you do for a living? I'm a bodybuilder. Can't you see? Through my words then what you say will do good to those who listen to you. God is telling you and I how we are to speak. If we are going to be God's secret agents of mercy, our words must add fuel to people's needs. Now, how in the world do we do this? How do we do this in a world that is unkind, that is sarcastic, that is rude, that is not considerate? One word, wisdom. You think before you speak. And you ask God, God, give me wisdom. How does this work? Well, when you ask God wisdom, you get it. The more wisdom you get, the wiser you become. And the wiser you become, the more patient you will be. And the more patient you are, the more you'll listen. And the more you listen, the more you will understand the hurts, the habits, the needs and the interests of other people. And it gives you an opportunity to show mercy. This is what James talks about. In James chapter three, verse 17, 
The wisdom that comes from heaven is pure, peace-loving. In other words, it's not looking for conflict. We live in a world where people love to argue. You go on the web, there's all kinds of blogs want to argue and tear down everything, using their words all over the place. You can see it on TV, in the news, arguments after arguments. Guess what? When you hear that and see that, that is an unwise person. The wisdom that comes from heaven is is peace-loving and it's willing to yield to others. And will you circle this phrase? Wisdom is full of mercy. The more your life is full of mercy, the, the wiser you are. And the wiser you are, the more merciful you will be because the wiser you are will help you to be patient. It will help you to listen. It will help you to understand the needs, the hurts, the interests of others so that you can show mercy. So you start by looking and listening for people's needs. You are not offended by people's life or lifestyle and you choose your words carefully. Then the fourth one is simply this. You value saving people over reaping or keeping rules. In God's economy of things, saving people is more important than keeping rules. So I want you to write this down. Rules are not as important as relationships. And Jesus demonstrated this over and over and over again. One time in Matthew 12, it's a story about Jesus and his disciples, and it's on the Sabbath. And they are walking through the grain fields and the disciples have not eaten all day. They are hungry. And so they take the heads of the grain and they rub it in their hands to get the grain out of the head. And they start eating them. And some Pharisees, some legalists, some rule keepers said, hey, your disciples are breaking the, the, uh, the Sabbath. And they weren't. Jesus corrected them. He said, hey, I want you to understand something. The, the, the Sabbath was made for man, man, not for the Sabbath. What had happened at this point in time that these Pharisees had created 613 additional laws beyond the laws that are written in in the Pentateuch. 613 other laws, 365 negative ones and 248 positive ones. And these disciples were breaking one of their laws. They're breaking the Sabbath. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus defended them. He said, no, they're not. Man was made for the Sabbath, not Sabbath for the man. He defended them because Jesus was looking out for the needs of his disciples. And so you and I need to value saving people over keeping rules. And Jesus valued you and I so much that he was willing to leave heaven above, put aside his deity, and enter into human history. And he broke all kinds of rules. Why? Because he wanted to save us. And this is what communion is about. So I would ask the ushers to come down because we're gonna have a moment to reflect and be grateful for the salvation that we have, that God was willing to enter into human history, break all kinds of man-made rules so as to save us. You see, what is really interesting is that these Pharisees had... 613 additional ones to the 714 that are listed in the Pentateuch. Jesus only had two folks. Do you know what they were? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He really made life simple. 
And I think if we would just simplify our lives, slow it down, and take out time to love through showing God's grace and God's mercy, this world would change overnight. And so communion is a time where we come together and we just reflect on God's grace and God's mercy towards us. We're grateful maybe for the story, some story. I just think of my grandkids. They still love me. After I offered them 10 bucks, they still love me. And that's something to be grateful for because Christ paid for our, our indifference. So ushers, let's go ahead and come up and let's go ahead and pass out the bread and the juice. And as they're passing out the bread and the juice, there's two cups. The bread is in the bottom cup. Juice is on the top. And let's just wait until everyone's served. They'll just kind of give me a signal in the back. And we'll take it together. And we'll reflect. And during this time, we want to reflect on God's grace towards us. The stories that are hidden in our hearts of people that God has allowed us to be a part of. And just be grateful for him. And so I'm just going to be quiet right now. And you just think. Let's take the bread. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Remember the stories. And then the juice. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember the stories. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, I'm just so grateful that you entered into our story, into human history. And you helped us to see your grace and your mercy. And that God, in many, many ways, you have blessed us. You have blessed us with salvation. You have blessed us with family and friends. You have blessed us with our spiritual family. You have blessed us with the community that we're in, that we get to be a part of what you're doing in human history right here in Plano, Texas. And that you've chosen to use us to make a difference. God, I am so grateful for the stories that that you have allowed me to be a part of. And may I be one who, like the leper, and seeing your healing and restoring my health and wholeness, goes back to you and says to you, God, thank you. You're a good God. You're a gracious Father. You're a merciful one. And I thank you for that, God. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, that's how you have a lifestyle. Where do you and I practice it at? And I know you're sitting there and you're thinking, he's got six points. We're not gonna get out of here till 1.30. But notice that I filled in all the blanks for you. So I'm gonna do a high level. There's so much I wanna say about these things. But I did outrun homelessness yesterday and I was pooped, okay? But let me give you these six things real quick. You look for people in a crisis and you listen to them. A listening ear is a healing tool. Take a look at Galatians 6.2. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When you and I listen to someone revealing their feelings, it is healing for them. Second way, if you're gonna be a secret agent for God, is you look for people with unmet needs and you help them. You help them with practical needs, maybe an errand that needs to be run, a child that needs to be washed, a meal that needs to be offered. We have a gal who started a ministry. Uh, Her name is Jennifer. Her husband's name, Greg, and I can't think of their last name, that started a meal train. What a great practical way to show God's grace and mercy. Romans 15 Each one of us needs to look, circle that word, after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but he waded right in and helped out. That's what mercy does. Third, if you're gonna be an agent of God, look for people who are grieving and comfort them, and they're all around us. We've all suffered loss. It is a universal problem. And so you look for people who are grieving, who have lost a dream, who have lost a family, who have, who have lost a loved one, and you comfort them. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 1. God comforts us in our troubles so that we can 
comfort others who are in trouble with the same comfort. In other words, share the stories that we ourselves receive from God. Number four, we look for people needing friends and we show hospitality. Because of the age we live in, a lot of people are isolated in front of their computers. And what they really long for are relationships with real people, flesh and blood. They're looking for that. And so when you see someone in a room that's by themselves, go up and talk to them. And maybe they're, uh, maybe they're awkward socially. I mean, you can identify them. Just go up and talk to them. Be friend them. People want to have friends. Look at Romans 12, 13. Look for opportunities to be hospitable. The fifth one is look for people who need a second chance and tell them that they are not second class. I have a lot of people come into my office and I'm a pastor, and I hear things that I would never repeat. You can guarantee that. If you come here, it's confidential. But they share with me some things, that their stories, that they are ashamed of. And before they leave, I always tell them, I want you to listen to me very carefully. You matter to me, and you matter to God. And you are not a second-class Christian. You're not. Don't ever think that. And you ought to see people's just countenance change. This is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 2. When people sin, you should forgive and comfort them so that they won't give up in despair. Folks, when people blow it, they know they've blown it. And they are despondent and they get depressed and they get discouraged. And the last thing they need is someone piling on. And a Christian is filled with grace and mercy. And it gets messy. But you tell him, you're not a second class anything. And then the last one. This one was going to shock you. I just know, okay? Look for people who are rude and be kind to them. I know that's really hard to do in our world, right? But be kind to them. Take a look at 1 Peter 3. Don't repay evil for evil. Never retaliate when people insult you or say unkind things about you. Instead, pay, a, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God wants you to do, and he will bless you if you do it. God says he will bless your socks off. If you will just be in a very mean world, if you will just be a person of grace and mercy. Now, there is one requirement to do these six things and really to do all kinds of other ways of showing grace and mercy. And do you know what that is? The one thing that's common with all these is time. Time is our life. And just by slowing down, giving a little time of showing grace and mercy, you can change this world. And God says, I will bless your socks off of you if you'll do this. Take a look at this promise in Hebrews. God will not forget the work you've done, the, grace of, the work of grace and mercy, of just sharing your story of what God's doing in your life. And the love you've shown him by caring for and helping other people. LifePoint Church, I want to thank you for being a church that lives out beyond the walls of this structure right here, of caring for the larger community that we live in. Thank you for running. 
Thank you for giving. Thank you for serving. Let's pray. Lord, I really do thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy of entering into my world, into our world, and helping us to see your story of who you are and what you came to do, God. I thank you that you didn't look down on me and you didn't look down on the world that you created, but rather you came to comfort. You came to console the brokenhearted. And I thank you for that, God. And today, as many of us woke up a week ago and heard about the devastation in Las Vegas, our hearts were shocked. And yet, God, we would ask you, though we live in a mean world, that through your spirit, those 58 families, those 500 that were wounded, those 20 plus thousand that were there and experienced that tragedy, God, somehow, would you turn it out for good? Would you enter in to the brokenness of these people, the brokenness of our world and lift people's heads up that they might see who you really are, a God of compassion, a God who cares, a God who wants to heal and a God who wants to bring wholeness back. And God, may it be seen through us, your people. May we be difference makers, God, knowing that as we are, you said you'd bless our socks off of us. So God, we look to you to do that. In your son's precious name we pray, amen.